And turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 22. And remember last week that we had talked about David. He's fleeing from King Saul. And he fled to Nob, this city of priests. And he lied to Ahimelech, the priest, and received bread, the bread of the presence. And then he fled to Gath, the city of the Philistines, where he had to basically pretend to be crazy in order to escape. So it was not a, a good situation. And so this is now talking to where the next step in his journey, fleeing from Saul. So again, First Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they, were, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart. Go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hareth. Now, Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servant who stood about him, his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all your commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day, then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub. And all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in order that you have given him bread and a sword? And have acquired of God for him 
so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to your servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I know, I knew on the day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me and do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So imagine that you are traveling in the mountains Maybe you've been to Colorado where you can be above timberline where the trees don't grow. And it's a beautiful day, and then suddenly black clouds come, the storm blows in, and then you find yourself in the midst of a thunderstorm. And there's hardly anything more terrifying than being in a thunderstorm at a high elevation where there's no shelter, no houses, no trees, uh, that you are the highest point and that that lightning is going to hit. But then you see a cave ahead. You run into the cave. That you find that you're dry, you're safe. The swarm rages outside. And if you think about it, that mental picture can be true of life. That in life we face many storms. 
It could be storms in your family or in your marriage or your workplace or your physical health or your spiritual health, that these storms blow in. You're, you're traveling through life. It's a sunny day in your life. Then suddenly the storm blows in. You feel like you have nowhere to go. And you begin to look for that place of safety, that place of refuge where you can hide from all of the storms of life, but you're not sure where to go. And as we look at our text today, we see that David was facing a major storm in his life, and that storm was the the wrath and the fury and the anger of King Saul, this wicked king of Israel. And when this storm broke out in David's life, that he was forced to, to flee for a place of safety. So the first place that he could think to go was the place of God, to the tabernacle, to the, the priest of God. And he couldn't find permanent refuge there. He tried to take refuge in lies and deceit, as we saw last week. It didn't work. He then fled to Gath, the city of the Philistines. It was not a place of safety, that his life was in more danger even than in Israel. So again, he had to pretend that he was a lunatic so they wouldn't pay attention to him as he escaped. That he was kind of like an animal. You think of an animal that is in the fight or flight moment where it seems like David isn't even taking any time to consider what he's doing. He's just going from place to place, trying to escape, trying to find a place of safety. And that he keeps going from the frying pan into the fire. It seems like things are getting worse. We said last week as well that it was a, what appears to be a spiritually t- dark time for David as he was taking refuge not in the truth, but in deception. But then here in our text, we see him finding shelter. So look with me in your Bible at verse 1. It says, David departed from there, from Gath of the Philistines, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, the, these caves in southern Judah are, are still known in Israel. Uh, and where they think this is, you can, it's a place that you can still visit, that there's a really a wall of rock, and you have to climb up this wall of rock, and there's a small hole, uh, not that small, but probably they said about seven feet. And you go into this small cavern, a limestone cave, and then it takes you into this large cavern. According to one commentary, it's about 5,000 square feet inside of this cave. And then there are networks of limestone caves where you can hide and find safety. It's very difficult to find that hole. It's very difficult once inside to even find a person inside of the cave. So in a sense, you could call this the, the caveman period of David, which doesn't sound like a, a step up in life, that, that he was the, the great warrior of Israel. He was the, the, the rising star of David for the, the future kingship of Israel. But here that the animal has finally found its hole to hide in. 
And so it's, it's dark in every way. But as we'll see, this period of cave dwelling, this caveman period for David, was actually a period of spiritual growth and renewal. And I wonder for your life that did you find more spiritual growth in the times when everything was going well? Or did you find more spiritual growth when you were in the midst of the storm? Or maybe when you were having to take refuge from the storms of life? And so as we look at this time of growth and renewal for David, that we can draw out two lessons for us today that we'll explore. So here's the the first lesson, that David teaches us how to take refuge in God. David teaches us how to take refuge in God. So as I said, we all face storms, the storms of life that crash in in all different areas. And so then that's the question, where will you take refuge in the midst of the storm? And you might say, well, how do we know that this was a period of spiritual renewal for David in the cave? Well, turn with me to the book of Psalms, and we're going to turn to Psalms a lot in this series. Every week I, I say, let's turn to the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible. And specifically, let's turn to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. If you're using the Pew Bible, this is on page 619 in the large print, or page 490 in the smaller print. Again, Psalm 142. And look with me at the heading of the psalm. A mascal of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. So this could have been the cave described in our text, but it's not the only cave that David hid in. He was in other caves, but yet it's speaking to the, his spiritual reflection in the, his caveman period when he was hiding from King Saul. Look at what he says in verse 1. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, They are hidden, a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. And so as I said, David had been trying to take refuge in so many places in his friendship with Jonathan in the tabernacle, with the priests, with the Philistines. And at each and every place, he found exactly what he says here, no refuge remains for me. And maybe you have found this in your life as well, 
that the storms of life blow in, and you begin to search for a place of refuge, a place of safety. Maybe you look for it in marriage, but then it doesn't work. Or you look for it in hard work, but it doesn't work. Or you look for it in family, or friendship, or money, or health, or success, that you, you try to find your safety and your refuge in something of this life. But then in each step, you realize there is no refuge for me. There's no ultimate safety that eventually those things will fail or die or end or betray us or turn away from us. And that's exactly what we see here in the experience of David. But then look at what he says in verse 5. He says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. And so you can almost envision David reflecting on his location. He's in the cave, but as he thinks about the spiritual significance that he he knows that that cave is no ultimate place of refuge, that his place of safety and refuge is not the, the cave carved out of limestone, but his ultimate place of safety is in the Lord as his refuge. And it's the same for us that, that ultimately we need to seek verse 5 to be our prayer, to come to the place where we could say, you are my refuge, you are my portion in the land of the living, that if I look to anything else, anyone else, for safety and security, that ultimately it won't work, it will come up empty, but God is our safe place. And this is something we see elsewhere in Scripture. I mean, you look through the Psalms and just pay attention to every time it talks about God as our refuge. And I had a long list, and I was tempted to read them all, and I'm not going to read them all today, but here's another Psalm, Psalm 57, which is also stated to be in the cave. And he says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And so in, in, in David's imagination, there's a storm of destruction out around him and that he is hiding under the wings of the Lord, the the, the, the caring, loving wings of his God. And that's the same for you and for me, that we can take refuge under the wings of God as the storms of destruction roar around us, either in the, the outside world or in our families or even in our own bodies as we struggle with sickness, that, that the Lord is the, the refuge. He is the the strength. He is the foundation. So then the question is, how do we take refuge in God? How is He our refuge and our strength? Well, the, the first step for taking refuge in God, if you've never taken refuge in God, the, the first step is what the Bible calls repentance. 
which is acknowledging that there is no refuge but God alone, and acknowledging that even your best attempts at goodness is no refuge. Even your best attempts at religion is no refuge. That you have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And therefore, the only place of refuge is in the mercy of God alone. So you turn from all other places of refuge to Christ, and you you put your trust in Him. And it's in Christ, then, united to Him by faith, that we find our safety, where we find the ultimate place of refuge, that He is our rock. He is our deliverer. He is the one who gives us safety in all the trials that we face, that we flee to Christ for safety in the midst of the storm. But then as those who have repented and turned to Christ, you might say, well, well, then what does it look like as a believer to take refuge daily? Well, it could be turning to him in prayer. That that's one of the, the signs of, of taking refuge, that when when the storm blows into your life, who's the first person on speed dial on your phone? Who's in your favorite contacts to reach out to? And of course, hopefully, as we talked about in our sermon on friendship a few weeks ago, hopefully you have people that you can reach out to. But the Lord is always the one who's the, the first person on speed dial, the one that we turn to first seeking his counsel, his guidance, his wisdom to take refuge in him before we take refuge in others or in in human minds or human wisdom. It's the same of searching the scripture. Before you you think of what Google says or chat GPT says, searching the scriptures, taking refuge in God through his word, the, the word of God that provides the strong foundation in every storm. And that's the the first lesson that we learn from David, that David teaches us how to take refuge in God. But now let's turn to our second application today. Second, David teaches us how to become a place of refuge for others, that he teaches us how to take refuge in God, but then also how to become a place of refuge for others. So turn with me in your Bible back to 1 Samuel 22. And look again at, at verse 1 in your Bible. It said, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And so immediately, he's alone in the cave, and then his his brothers show up, because presumably they were also in danger from King Saul. And so then he's a refuge for his family, for his extended relatives seeking safety from Saul. And then look at verse 3. It, it says that his parents came down to him. And, and you remember from chapter 17 that his father, it said, was old, that he was the youngest son. 
And so he follows the, the Ten Commandments. He honors his father and his mother. And so he becomes then this place of safety for his parents, who are also in danger. And you'll notice how he brings them to Moab and asks the, the Moabites to essentially house his parents. And he says, until I know what God will do for me. And again, you see this growing spiritual vitality where he's seeing God's hand in what's going on. You might say, well, why did, they, why did he take them to Moab? Well, remember, David's father is Jesse. Jesse's grandmother was Ruth the Moabite. And so Jesse had second cousins, presumably, still in Moab. And so even though they were technically enemies of Israel, it was a very logical place to bring his father, Jesse, and his mother for safety from the storm. But he's becoming this place of safety, seeking the provision and the safety of those who are in danger. But then also look at verse 2 in your Bible. It says, And everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, Everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And so you can see the image of he's in this cave alone, and then suddenly his brothers show up, and then his parents show up, and then people start trickling in, which is ironic because Saul can't find him, but yet all of the kind of riffraff of Israel find him. And the image that kept coming to mind here for me was in the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie, the old kind of famous one. You remember how they end up on the island of misfit toys. And all the toys that, that no one wanted would end up on the island of misfit toys. And since then, David here becomes the, the commander of the army of misfit toys those who were in distress, who were in debt, who were bitter in soul. And remember that, because we'll come back to that in a moment. But you can see how he's, he's becoming a place of refuge for those around him. But then, of course, he also becomes a place of refuge for Abathar, the priest. Now, that's a bulk of this chapter. We talked about it last week. To, to some extent, so we'll spend a little less time on it. But you see King Saul sitting around complaining. No one cares about him. Nobody is wanting to help him. He's just in this pity party. And notice that he won't even call David by his name. He says, the son of Jesse. And he's becoming paranoid. He has this conspiracy theory that David is somehow plotting against him. And then Doeg, the Edomite, speaks up. And you'll remember him, that ominous note from the previous chapter, that he was present at the tabernacle when David received provision. And, David, and Doeg says, well, I saw David come to Nob. I saw Ahimelech the priest inquire of the Lord and he received bread, and he received the sword of Goliath. And so this intensifies his paranoia, his desperate 
conspiracy theory. And so he calls the priests to him. And the priest and, and the entire family of priests, as we'll see, it was 85 people. And he begins to accuse the high priest, Ahimelech, saying, why are you plotting against me? And, he, and the priest tries to defend himself, saying, David is one of your main guys. I've inquired of him before. I had no idea, which is true, that he had no idea what was going on. But then in rage, Saul condemns him to death. And he orders his men to strike down the priest. But then in an act of righteous, civil disobedience, either fear of God or maybe just superstition, they don't want to strike down the priests of the Lord. And so Saul turns to the Edomite, someone who wasn't an Israelite, to Doag and saying, you strike down the priests. And in this terrifying bloodbath, he strikes down 85 priests. It was just a terrifying moment. And it's where you see this dark turn for Saul. We're up until this point, he seemed whiny. He seemed paranoid. And it, it reminds me in some ways of the, the scene in episode three of Star Wars. If, if you are a Star Wars fan, when Anakin Skywalker, who would later become Darth Vader, finally really turns to the dark side and he goes to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, and he kills the younglings who are training to be the future Jedi of the Empire. And when you see it in the movie, it's this moment of you're thinking, oh, he's not just this kind of bitter person, but this is a really dark turn. And it's the same thing for Saul, where suddenly he goes from a bad king of Israel doing bad things to the annals of the, the evil kings of history. He, he joins the ranks of Pharaoh who slaughtered the firstborn or Herod who killed the children in Bethlehem of Jezebel who slaughtered the priests of the Lord that, that he becomes this wicked anti-God, a, a kind of anti-Christ you could say, this one opposing God's anointed, opposing God's priests, destroying the ordinances of God. So after the, the slaughter, they go to Nob, and there's slaughter there as well, every single person. And so in a dark turn, Saul carries out against the city of priests what he failed to do against the Amalekites. Part of what brought his rejection from God, he carried out on not only his own people, but on the priests of the Lord. And then you see the, this moment where the, you wonder, will this line continue? But as a, as a side note, all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, God had prophesied the destruction of the house of Eli as an act of judgment. And so, and ironically, Doag is, he's not, he's doing something evil, but he's simultaneously fulfilling the prediction of the Lord. Um, and so in his evil action, far from overthrowing God's purposes, 
he actually displays the, the sovereignty of God and his judgment against the house of Eli. But then one of the sons of the priest, Abathar, escapes, and then he flees to David. And he comes to David, and we said in verse 22 how David repents. He takes responsibility for what happened. But then look at what, what we read in the final verse of our text today of chapter 22. He says, Stay with me and do not be afraid, for he who seeks your life, my life, seeks your life. With me you will be in safe keeping. And so again, he finds refuge with David. But then the question is, how is it that David is able to become a place of safety and of refuge for others? And the answer is that first, he was able to find refuge and safety in God alone. And out of that, he's able then to welcome the island of misfit toys and the refugees into his midst because of what he had received from the Lord. And that is the same for us as well, that, that we can never become a place of refuge for those around us unless we first find our refuge and our strength in God alone. And that's a pattern that can't be reversed. That if you try to become a place of refuge for others before taking refuge in God, then either you will fail to be a place of refuge or you will burn out and you'll ultimately have nothing to offer for those who are in need. But when you start with your relationship with God, taking refuge in Him, then by His strength, you can then become this place of refuge for others. And that's something that I, I long for, for Hope Church. That as a church, that, that we could be a place that is a, a place of refuge and safety, where, where the, the island of misfit toys can find refuge I mean, those who are in distress, everyone who is in debt, everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him. And that's very similar to what we see in Jesus, that as we, we turn from, from David to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus throughout his life was one who perfectly took refuge in God. And then he was one who also became a refuge for others. That it says in Scripture that it was the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the, the marginalized of society that came to him. That the, the followers of Jesus were not the, the mighty and the powerful of that time. But the, the, the entourage around Jesus, including the twelve apostles, were misfit toys, those in distress, those in trouble, who found refuge in Jesus. And it was the same for the early church. The Apostle Paul writing to Christians in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, 
even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And as I said, that's part of our calling together as a church, is to, to be a place for those who are in distress, for those who are in debt, for those who are bitter in soul. But as I said, we can, as a church, be a place of refuge because ultimately we're not the final stop. We're not the final destination that the church could not sustain. It itself would burn out if it tried to be the place of refuge. But the church, including Hope Church, can be a place of refuge because our only job is to welcome people in and then direct them to the true source of refuge and safety, which is not in us, not in me, not in any mere human authority, but our only place of refuge and safety is what we see symbolized and sealed for us here in this meal. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we, we come to the only place that, that we can find hope. Remember I said at our very first song that we sang that it, it ties into the theme of our message today that we sang, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so today we, we see his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, and that Jesus, by his suffering and death, opens up a way for us to have life, that Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, that the, the, the high priest, the Lord Jesus, was struck down, not by Doeg, but by evil men who came around him, that there was no place of refuge or safety as he was on the cross crying out in agony. And you wonder, where did he find his safety and his refuge? That he died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. And because of his life and his death and his resurrection, we can flee to him in all the storms that we may face. Now today, if you are unsure about Jesus, if you've never repented, taken refuge in Christ alone for salvation, we're glad that you're here, but we would encourage you not to take this, to, to watch this unfold. But for the rest, you don't have to be a, a member of Hope Church or a Presbyterian Church, but to be one that is trusting in Jesus, has made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel not bound by the action of another church from taking this, but one that can profess the faith that we hold together. And so turn with me to our, our profession of faith. And this is on page 10 in your order of worship. And this is written by John Calvin, who wrote the preface to a, a French Bible uh, because he actually pastored a, a church of French refugees in Switzerland who were fleeing persecution for their faith and trying to take refuge and, and safety. And so this was an encouragement for a refugee congregation of French speakers in Switzerland. And he's, he wrote, let's use this as we profess our faith together. Without the gospel, everything is useless and vain. Without the gospel, 
we are not Christians. By the knowledge of the gospel, we are made children of God, brothers of Jesus Christ, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, heirs of God with Jesus Christ, by whom the poor are made rich, the weak strong, the fools wise, the sinner justified, the desolate comforted, the doubting sure, the slaves free. It is the power of God for the salvation of all those who believe. It follows that every good thing we could think or desire is to be found in this same Jesus Christ alone. For he who was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He has made a curse for our blessing, a sin offering for our righteousness, mar that we may be faint fair, died for our life. But let's pray. Father, you are our rock, our refuge. You are our place of safety and strength. So we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways that we look for refuge and strength and security in the things of this life, whether they're things that are sinful in themselves, like addiction, or things that even could be good in and of themselves, like family. Lord, we pray that we can turn from those false caves of refuge and that we can find the warm embrace under the wings of Christ. And as we take this meal, we pray that once again you would strengthen our faith, that you would be glorified among us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.